Over the past decade, the food and beverage industry has trended towards health, with Juice Press being a prime example of that. After recovering from his drug addiction, Marcus Antebi flipped the script by building a health food empire which attracted prominent investors including Kenny Dichter, Mark Teixeira, Michael Karsh, and Ken Langone. Today, Juice Press spans 87 stores across the United States. Tonight, we find out how from founder Marcus Antebi. The entrepreneurial spirit is the cornerstone to the American dream, a beacon to all willing to weave their story into the fabric of our history. I'm Elliot Dweck, and this is From the Founder. Marcus Antebi. High five. Thanks founder for all this. Founder of... Juice Press and Good Sugar. Juice Press and Good Sugar. And Pure Media and Royal Estates. And Pure Media and Royal Estates. And then I had a lemonade stand when I was 14. Lemonade stand at 14. Yes. Former skydiver. Retired skydiver. Meditation. Yoga. Thai boxing. Thai boxing. And I like uh, orchids. I like to do little orchid uh, arrangements and I'm really good with bonsai. Bonsai trees. Yeah. You make bonsai trees? I buy them. You buy them. Yeah. Okay. I don't have time to. All right. Anything. So you were born in Brooklyn. I was born in Brooklyn. Moved to California. Jumped to Long Island. Long Island. Yeah. Lived behind JFK. Okay. Which is really not, I don't a little recommend noisy. it. noisy. It's just very intrusive, you know. Right. Your house is always shaking. Yeah. Beverly Hills, California. My friends' names were once uh, Morris and Eli changed to Biff and Todd overnight. <laughs> I was very confused. It must be confusing for It's confusing. A, a, I didn't fit child. in. I didn't fit in. I tried yeah. to fit in. It didn't work. I went to a, they, they had a prep school that taught people from Brooklyn to talk like they were from out in California. So first lesson is ball, ball, give me the ball. And then it becomes, give me the ball, give me the ball. But it would come out sometimes when I was angry. It's not so natural. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it was really tough. Let's talk about family life. Okay. Uh, my parents got separated in 1980. My mother moved back to New York and remarried. My dad got pinky rings and a Rolls Royce. And it was him and I in Beverly Hills, California. So your dad was in retail. Born into retail. So was I. Meshuggah Dave. Meshuggah Dave. You did your research. I did my research. That's right. Were you learning the trade when you were young? Not really. I wasn't interested in it. But you really, when you think about it, I was always around it, right? Right. So what was your social life like? Ah, oh, what a disaster. Oh, you really touched upon it. Um, my social life, I don't know. I was an awkward kid. Uh, I went to Beverly Hills schools. Uh, I had olive colored skin. Everybody was crispy white. Um, my friends were always the out, the misfits. I, I, you know, I, I've heard you say that when you were 15, you checked yourself into rehab. So I had a, I had a, a brief stint with tobacco at age 14 mm -hmm. and marijuana for about a year and a half. And, uh, I was somehow blessed at age 15 to realize that it was a problem. And my- that takes a lot of self-awareness. Well, you know, I had exposure. My dad had recently got sober. He was six months sober. Now, did those three months change your life? Oh yeah, of course. I had come to the conclusion that I was a drug addict, even though I didn't have a 20 year career and, you know, prison time and crystal meth. And so I just, you know, having that revelation stuck with me and I'm sober 35 years. 
Now, let's talk about your relationship with food from wow. then till now. Wow, holy smokes. Yeah. You know, food is another big addiction. So when I stopped smoking and drinking, my addiction was uh, eating, just eating mountainous amounts of food for the change of the chemistry, the brain right. chemistry. Now, how did that change? It really became obvious to me that I was still stuffing my feelings and I didn't feel good doing that. I just didn't feel good. And I really wanted to be more athletic. So I replaced eating drugs and smoking or whatever with sports. I was able to get my mind where it needed to be, where I didn't have to behave addictively. It's very smart. It's luck. So I don't blame it on intelligence because I, I don't think I'm that smart. Mm -hmm. And when I came to New York, I found my new addiction, which was uh, work, extreme sports. When did you get into skydiving? I have a cousin who's another Syrian guy who was an adventurer. Okay. And he called me up from a skydiving place in 1992 and he's got his cousin, you got to try this. So I did the tandem and then next thing I know, I was going through the student jump course. I'm, I'm, I'm skydiving. And you've done like 2,300 jumps? I retired with 2,300 jumps. Wow. I packed up my Bronco and I drove to Deland, Florida because I was already a skydiver. I had a couple of hundred jumps and I said, this is where I'm going to hang out. Being entrepreneurial, I found myself in a conversation with a guy and I said to him, how come they don't have any videos that teach you the new jumper how to pack their main parachute? Two minutes later, I'm being introduced as a guy from New York who wants to produce a video on packing your parachute. And there I was, I had $13,000 to my name. I spent 18,000 making the video. And it was a massive success in the industry. Was it? It was something that's needed. Right. So it's timely. It was packaged correctly. It was the right price. And I had the right delivery mechanism. I had all those things right. Um, I said, all right, let me make another video. This is my first real self-entrepreneurial business. Yeah. Where I'm doing something. Yes. Uh, I'm motivated. This is a breakthrough moment. Breakthrough moment. I'm motivated. I have some talent. All in, I did the skydiving business for eight years. <clears throat> uh, 2001, 9-11 crushed the skydiving industry for a good period of time. And I sold three different divisions of the business. It was actually a nice business. I came back to New York. I was flat broke, had no debt, paid the IRS. And I said, okay, ready for this. take two. Start. Now it's time, it's time to start my life. So basically now you know in New York City, you're gonna do something in retail. I'm a workaholic, I gotta you're work. You're a workaholic. Yes, love that word. How do you get into juice? You know, I was at the juice bars a lot. I would skip meals, have a smoothie, I want some juice, have a little snack, but the juice bar was my, that was my hangout. Right. Years earlier, I had studied a juice business really inside and out. The guy that owned it was a quasi friend of mine and we used to talk about retail and he used to tell me about his various retail problems and I would give him solutions at that time, which I would later follow, which would lead to the success of Juice Press. So at that moment in time, I sat with myself in Central Park. I said, okay, what do you want to do? I went through the list. I looked at the bottom of the list, which said retail. And I circled that. I said, that's it, buddy, you're doomed. And at that moment, I sealed my fate. I said, retail is my creative outlet. It's not just my business. This is all the things that I love to do if I concentrate, I can do them through retail. When I think about retail, 
I say, wow, that's about 80% of everything that's actually happening right. as a transaction in the world as a retail, or there's a retail support group. I wrote a comprehensive business plan for myself. I just wander the streets and I go into retail and I look at things. I took the business plan and I threw it in a desk drawer and I said, I am not doing food and beverage. It's too messy, it's too disgusting, it's not gonna work. Four and a half minutes later, I was in a park with my daughter. A retail store became available on East First Street and I looked at that store and I said, whoever has that store is the coolest guy in New York. And I said, take the sign down. How much is the rent? 2,700. I said, I'll give you 3,000. So when I had the store, it just came naturally. Okay, get a contractor, start building. What am I building? What do I want it to look like? So, you know, conversations, talking, you know, next thing you know, I'm in the food business. Okay, so now you open up this first location. Was it successful immediately? Yes. There was a progression, obviously, and a peak, but the reason it was successful immediately was because we got the doors open. We got the thing open. We took, we took nothing, dust, right. and we turned it into something. But there could be a hundred people that get the doors open. You Why do you show up? You can't underestimate that because most of the people in the world don't do anything. Right, because they just have the idea, but they Maybe don't Maybe not act. even, they're too scared to have the idea. And even with the idea, they don't do anything. They can't get from zero to 60. Uh, this is a very, very important point because you separated yourself from the pack by actually springing into action and doing something. It all comes from negative places in my character. That's in my writing. I had to have my own business because I'm unemployable. I can't work for anyone else. Huh. I don't consider that a fine quality. I can't let you tell me what to do. You had to be your own boss. I had to be my own boss. We, we were so inundated with sales. There were days that we were doing 14,000 a day in sales and we were pre-selling product without having the space to be able to produce it. So originally in 2010, you open up a juice press. Today, there's 87 of them. How did you do that? Well. I was never gonna be satisfied with one store from the beginning, and there were too many mouths to feed there. And I had a plaque on the wall that said, right now in New York City, there's an ATM, a coffee house, and a pharmacy on every corner. Fast forward 10 years, there'll be a juice bar in every corner. You had that foresight? I didn't have that foresight, I was creating my mantra. I, I wrote the number 738, so I was off by a lot, but, you wrote seven. I wrote there, there will be 738 juice presses in New York City. Yeah, within the next that's my, 10 years. With my humor. Right. Yeah. And I shot high and I settled low. Right. Shoot for the moon. If you fall, you fall upon the stars. That's right. There you go. Did you just, did you make that up? I did, yeah. No, you didn't. No, you no didn't. I didn't. That's like Mark Twain yeah, or something. Something like that. Something. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So let's talk about the process of the last 10 years, the last 11 years. What obviously comes next out of the woodwork are all these different types of investors. The investor that I went to was a, an awesome entrepreneur, a genius of all aspects of the business. I can say his name out loud. His name is Kenny Dichter. He had a guy that would come to the store all the time, buy him product, he loved it. He told the guy that would come, I gotta meet this guy. When I came into his office, New Balance had sent him 100 pairs of a sneaker they were launching in every size. 
First thing he did was say, what size shoe are you? And he gave me a pair of these rainbow colored New Balance in a size 10. I said, this guy is my partner. Because he knew how to create the show. Right. Hey, he knew how to create the distractions. And I knew, I know it's calculated because I do the same thing. Was Kenny your first investor? He was, he was the first investor. Before that, we had some small loans with one of my partner's dad. And again, we were robbing, we, when I, the credit card companies were our first right. real lenders right. to get to, you know, two and a half stores, wherever we were going. It was a month later, Kenny called me up and said, we're going to Orlando, get to Teterboro Airport. Next thing I know, I'm on one of his fastest airplanes with him alone, we're heading south, we're going to a golf tournament. Could not be more out of my element. <laughs> he said, how do we make a deal? We made a deal on a napkin. And then I became a Syrian Jew merchant retailer again. I said, how much money you got in your pocket? He says, what do you mean? I said, I need a deposit. Took $500 out of his pocket. And on Monday, we made a deal that he was gonna give me a $25,000 deposit to just talk to me about making a deal. And he paid me. And if I didn't do that, I would not have made a deal. It would have disintegrated. Because he spent that money, he focused on me, and it right. took us six months to complete what we were doing. So he really helped you scale it. Absolutely. And so he's the one that brought in all the people that it. Uh, bought into the first real round of Juice Press. How much did you guys end up raising? 158 million, no, it was six million. Six million Just was Just in Series A? S series A was six million. The best story I can tell you was, I got called up the day before, you're going to Ken Langone's office. Who is he? The co-founder of, I didn't even hear what they said. I'm on Park Avenue, I'm in his office, I'm wearing a suit and tie, I'm sitting in a giant boardroom, there's, a, there's two juice press juices sitting on the table, there's a guy nervously twitching with a laptop, he's wearing a suit. I said, what are you doing? He's like, oh, I'm here to talk to Ken and show him my investment. So I said, I guess that's what I'm doing. Right. You had no idea who he was. <laughs> no idea, no background, nothing, totally unprepared. So Ken comes in the room, sweetheart of a guy, big guy, prompt, you know, very, uh, commands a great presence. He sits down, he leans back, puts his glasses in his mouth, and he says to the guy, okay, what do you got? This guy has the most epic business plan for a company that's already generating hundreds of millions of dollars, and it's a technology that works for a billion dollar industry. And he shows them the plan and demonstrates it, it's unbelievable. Ken says, so what you mean is you have to get through municipalities and government and blah, blah, blah. And the guy says, yeah, he goes, I don't deal with bureaucracy. The guy, his whole thing just crashed. Next, what do you got? I have a juice company in New York. Right, yeah, my uh, secretary loves this <laughs> You know, that's how he's talking to me. And he picks up the bottle, he's holding it. He doesn't even open it. There's no interest in what's in it. And he asked me, what's your market cap? What's your EBITDA? What's your margins? What do you see? How do you? Every question he asked me, I had no answer. I said, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. He asked me one question. Why do people like it? I said, they think they're going to get laid. And he giggled. All right, you got a million and a half dollars. Don't make me wait. And it was just that kind of business. Uh, it was a hot business. People wanted to get involved. I was just being myself. Yeah. I don't prepare. I don't really care that much. I do care, but I don't care. And I'm gonna walk out the same guy I was when I walked in, and I'm cool under pressure. You know, I could look the guy in the eyes. It's Marcus. It's not Marcus, it's uh, it's uh, it's luck.
let's fast forward. You exit the company. Two years ago? Two years ago. Okay, why? Well, I exited Juice Press because it was the right time mm -hmm. and there was somebody there that wanted to take over. The gentleman who I can say his name with grace, Michael Karsh, who took over Juice Press, he had a passion for the business because he had a background in retail. He was an investment banker, hedge fund guy, very, very fair, honest guy. Uh, loved health and wellness too. Um, I don't think I had more years left in me doing that. And what'd you do after that? I left Juice Press. The following day, I'm putting on a backpack and I'm coming into the city and I'm just wandering around looking at stuff and deciding not what I'm gonna do next, not where I'm gonna do it next, but how I'm gonna do it next. I, I, I wrote a 480 page document, which included slides and pictures. Say that one more time. 480 page document. It's a real true business plan yeah. because if I forget how to open my door, I can go to page 87 and go, oh, the door opens into the store, not out. Just in case you forget. There's a lot of details. Retail is detail. Right now where we're sitting is Good Sugar. Uh, well, Good Sugar serves food the way people want to buy health food. They don't uh, want to sit down and pay $98 plus a 20% tip for tiny portions. Right. They want to be on their move, be on the way. They want to get it and consume it a certain way, but they want it to be 100% fresh without processed ingredients. They want there to be fresh, delicious juice. They want there to be a food paradigm that represents purity with no adulteration, no perversion, no corruption. I can't just serve hardcore smoothie people and people who understand molecular nutrition. Right. It has to be the construction worker or the nightclub guy who's hungover. It's everybody. You, you want to, anybody who's interested in this type of lifestyle, you have to make it accessible to them. Look back at your career. Yeah, right there. Okay. What would you do differently? I wouldn't do anything differently. If I do one thing differently, the soup comes out different. What I have right now is perfect. And what I have right now is an aggregate of 737,000 transactions. And so I would never change one of them. Tune in every week to hear more entrepreneurial stories here on From the Founder.